This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. We are answering your questions about devils in this episode. Many of you have sent in questions. Uh, every I laugh every time you say devils. So we're, so we're just call them demons, we, dude. Everybody calls them demons. I refuse. <laughs> and you have emailed in your questions. You've sent in videos. And many of you are going to be asking questions in the live chat. We will be answering them as they come in. So you guys stay tuned. It's going to be an exciting episode. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. It is. It is the show for you. It's an exciting show where we talk about devils. devils. We're talking about them devils. (laughs) And demons but mostly devils. Uh, guys, really great stuff coming down. If, you, if you're not familiar to Remnant Radio, man, go ahead and hit subscribe, like now, because you, you're going to be addicted I love if it. you're not if already. You, if you don't know anything don't know about, about us, us, just hit subscribe and you'll find out a lot. What you watched in the last 45 minutes, 45 seconds is all that you're ever going to need to know <laughs> is we we crack the whys and we love the theology. Uh, lots of really cool stuff coming down. We're entirely listener supported. So if you aren't already, jump on Patreon. Guys, uh, Patreon.com forward slash The Remnant Radio. You can give as low as five bucks a month, get extra content. Me and Michael have been doing response videos to uh, Rediscovering Bethel. Uh, It's an interesting program that we're doing where we're talking about some of those clips. What are our thoughts on it? Some things we disagree with, some things that we agree with. Kind of get some of our thoughts. But we also do the Kingdom of the Cults book uh, every single Saturday. Uh, at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, a bunch of us get together, read a chapter, and discuss that chapter from Walter Martin. Uh, And man, we've got tons of stuff coming up concerts events all kinds of cool stuff as well you want to talk about some of that uh you mean concerts yeah just put it on the screen and i'll talk about it oh you should come (laughs) to that the pursuit conference (laughs) the pursuit conference is especially for christian leaders uh and so if you're a pastor and you want to get the gifts of the spirit uh going in your church or you're just a christian leader who's kind of influencing your pastor or whatever i mean they're opening it up to everybody but there will be a concentration on that jack Deere, sam storms matt chandler will be there remnant radio will be there uh michael miller and i will be doing some prophetic ministry and so uh uh, going to be a really fantastic time. That is August, uh, October uh, 3rd, 4th through 6th. There you go. So there. there's yep. the website, website for it. Website, uh, and then after that, we also have this conference here. It's a little bit further out. It is in February of next year. You got a promo code there and a way to register. Prophetic Conference OKC. A bunch of us gathering together, roundtables, a bunch of stuff. Be really cool. Uh, those are things you want to be at and you don't want to miss uh, other shows. We've got the History of the Baptist Church coming up. We've got uh, other shows coming out on uh, Elijah Stevens going to be Elijah back Stevens. on next He's week. back on next week? Yeah. Not well, next week. I think it's on Monday. No. no. Hey, it's the week, the week after. after that. Week after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I'm in town. Yeah. That would be a delightful surprise. Anyway, on the other side, you can hear the, the chuckles uh, come from Michael Miller. Mikey, how are you doing? 
I'm good. I was finishing some beef jerky. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> He's well, literally like chewing. You had, you had all day, man. I, you had all day. No, I haven't. I hadn't had a chance to eat yet, so I was trying to snack as much as I could before we got started. It's the basement uh, thing. Sarah slipped him some food. <laughs> yeah, under the door. <laughs> I'm not allowed to come out. <laughs> but Shay, she gave um, you something good. <laughs> okay, so... What was Did you ask me a question? I don't I think had, you asked me a question. I think I asked you how you doing, but... You I'm were good. Like, I'm, I'm eating jerky. Couldn't be much better. <laughs> I'm good. I'm excited to, to be here. I'm always happy about this uh, podcast. So yeah, and I'm I'm excited because I've I've had people have been asking me for a certain resource from an episode we did. I think it might have been six weeks ago, maybe five weeks ago, and I finally found the book after I've scoured my uh, library. So ready to give that to you guys as well when we dive into the topic. Wow, that's tantalizing. Okay. Um, we are going to be talking. We're going to answer your questions. I think we should start with the video questions. We said we were going to honor those and play those Video first. questions, man. That's fun. Video questions first. Uh, first video comes all the way from the UK. My buddy Nathan. Hey, guys. Love the videos. Love the content. Um, and loving this series on, on demonology. I wanted to ask, with in light of kind of deliverance, what are your viewpoints on deliverance ministries in that kind of relate to looking back at things and asking Jesus where he's at in it, for instance, or uh, so kind of like, I guess, like Sozo or out of Catch the Fire, they've got a ministry called Restoring the Foundations. I think Restoring the Foundations is a little bit better, um, but I would love to hear your viewpoints on these kind of deliverance ministries. Um, and are they viable forms of deliverance ministries? Um, what would be your advice to people? Thanks, guys. God bless. Keep doing the Lord's work. Love you guys. Sounds like Miller has unmuted his microphone. I, I think, so he's I think he wants to, to weigh in. Go, Miller, Miller. you want to start? Uh, yeah, I love the question. Um, and I've got a few. I, I've, I have some familiarity with all of those uh, things he mentioned. The first one he mentioned has to do with inviting Jesus into memories or into certain traumatic experiences from your past. Um, there's two different people that are sort of popular for, for making that practice popular. One of them being Charles Kraft. Uh, and you can find that in several of his books where he, he sort of walks people through that on how to, how to help people deal with uh, healing of their memories and past trauma. And then another ministry that's called Theophostics um, and then he mentioned Sozo, which is actually not the same thing. And, uh, you know, I'm probably a, a bit more skeptical of the Sozo model because there's a lot of assumptions made in that one that I cannot back up scripturally. Um, and then the third one um, was the Restoring the Foundations out of the Catch the Fire, which I would say Restoring the Foundations is probably the one that I would uh, endorse the most out of the three that he mentioned. Um, although Charles Kraft, I mean, the guy is, is very well educated. You just you just don't see in Scripture examples of people inviting Jesus into their memories and into their past trauma. Um, but not to say that that isn't uh, quite a viable way of doing ministry. So um, restoring the foundations in particular, I think, is a really good ministry overall. I've personally seen a lot of people get free from all kinds of stuff. And when I've uh, used some of the tools they've got, I've, I've been able to help people with uh, a lot of that. So the, the thing to, to recognize in all of this, though, is anytime you use a formula, um, you're always going to fall short of, uh, I would say, or you could always, you, there's the potential to um, 
rely heavily on that formula rather than be led by the spirit. Um, I do think that there is a, a benefit with restoring the foundations because they, they kind of do an inventory where you go through a litany of all these past things. And it, it's pretty comprehensive. Um, the, the tough part is, is you may find yourself going through a whole list of previous sins from your past that have, that you're not demonized because of. Mm-hmm. Um, remember that just because you commit a sin doesn't guarantee that you're going to get a demon. Um, but, but that said, I do find that restoring the foundations to be an incredibly helpful tool. Um, with the Theophostic and the Charles Craft model of inviting Jesus into your memories, uh, the, the phrase that uh, Charles Craft used to use is that rats are attracted to the trash. So if you have trash from your past, then, then usually you can sort of go there to begin the work of getting free. I do think for a lot of people, um, you know, when you're praying to Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, would you come and, and redefine this past of mine? Um, the Lord honors that kind of prayer. I mean, he honors prayer in general. Us seeking to get healed by him is something that he's helped us to meet it, or happy to beat us in. Um, my personal problem with it is I have a hard time believing that what I'm seeing is actually the Lord in those moments, and that might yeah. just be more personal. Uh, what do you guys think on some of that? Yeah, I was about to ask that same thing. Like, is it possible that we are asking God to do something? Where, where, so you're, it's kind of like a guided conversation, if I'm right. Like, okay, Michael... Now ask God, where was he in that situation? Go back in your mind's eye, imagine this. And like, Mm -hmm. you're actually coercing a kind of imagination experience. You're 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 leading, you're leading. No, no, yes. But I think it's an open question of, is there a way to do it that's not necessarily leading? So I I have a a few thoughts on this. For one, I would differentiate between inner healing and deliverance ministry. Hmm. Uh, Whereas deliverance is getting rid of demons and inner healing is, I have a hurt heart or a hurt spirit and I want to invite the Holy Spirit into that in order to heal. And so uh, so John Wimber, uh, in his book, I think it's his Power Healing book, uh, he talks about uh, he talks about inviting Jesus into a memory. It, it's like a small segment of his book, but I always remembered it. And he talks about it in the category of reframing your memory. And, uh, and, and so I, I'll say that in that context, in an inner healing context, and in a context where you're not driving or feeding them uh, the vision that they might have, I have found that it can be helpful. I have found it, it, I think with regard to deliverance ministry, I would just put that in a completely different category. But, uh, but you know, even looking at uh, modern kind of psychologists, therapists, they, they do something like this. Now, I'm not saying <laughs> this is a whole nother deal of sufficiency of scripture. Do we need to look at you know, what the counselors and therapists are saying today and apply. That's a whole different conversation. But um, I mentioned this book on one of our other kind of recent episodes, The Body Keeps the Score uh, on Overcoming PTSD. And uh, and one of the, his major points is uh, that the way uh, that if you, the way you interpret your past determines much of whether you'll get past your past. Hmm. And we know from Philippians 3 that that we're supposed to get past our past. He says, you know, not looking back, but looking ahead and straining toward the prize. So we're supposed to leave in the past our past in some way. So if you look at it in terms of reframing a memory, uh, what if somebody, uh, what if somebody because of a, a past traumatic event felt like God abandoned them? And what if God by his Holy Spirit could speak into that memory and communicate in some way I didn't actually abandon you. I was actually there. Um, I can see that being helpful. And so the way that I would guide something like that is I would say something like this. Well, hey, 
uh, talking to the person. Hey, uh, you believe God's everywhere at all times, right? Yes. So you believe that he was present whenever this traumatic event happened? Yes. Okay. Matthew 28, 20. I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So do you believe that Jesus was with you uh, when that happened? Theoretically, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's just ask the Lord to and uh, and see if he would sh- if he really was there. And the Bible says that he was there. Um, let's just ask um, either for him to show you show you where he was at, what he was doing. Uh, maybe he would speak into that. Maybe he has something to communicate to you about that. But let's just invite him to speak or to show you himself in some way in this memory. Um, and, and so I, I kind of just throw that out there. I mean, you guys tell me if you think that's feeding too much, but I, I found it it can be helpful. Yeah, I mean, I've got friends that have had dramatically impacted lives because of things like this, that they, they've done just that, where they've gone through a program like that and have gotten dramatic healing from those sort of things. Um, but I've also seen people go into programs where people are unqualified spiritually to mm-hmm. do anything like this. And when I say unqualified spiritually, please don't take anything what I'm saying out of context. Um, when you are going to a local church, you want to make sure the pastor who's overseeing your soul, who's there to, he's going to be held accountable to God, that he is educated theologically, he is uh, faithful in raising his children, he has good integrity, he knows how to exegete the scriptures, so like there's mm-hmm. so many like qualifications for an elder, and in a lot of these inner healing ministries, what we have is we have groups of people who, for maybe... I know you distinguished inner healing and deliverance differently, but many of them, many churches kind of put those things together. They go, man, there looks like there's power in that. I want to I see people get delivered. Uh, and they run into there, and they're unqualified in that they don't know theologically what's going on. They don't know biblically. what if They're just reading a program that's telling them this is what you do. They don't mm-hmm. really know how to discern through that, what to pick and what not to pick. Um, also, there are people who have been victims that are just in pain, and they were helped, and they felt lots of liberty, and they want to help others. Uh, and it's just still good. It's still motivated well. But uh, like we see in Scripture, yeah. there are pastors who've got good motivations to pastor, but they're unqualified. Yeah, I, and I would just say that any of these programs, if they're led by unqualified leaders, it's going to cause a disaster. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that's super important because, I mean, you're talking about if somebody has a past trauma, you're talking about the deepest hurt. They may have never told anybody else except you. That's right. Yeah. And, and so you don't want to just open that up to anybody. You don't want to open it up to somebody to be ministering at the deepest possible levels, the this ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in your uh, in this situation. You don't want to open that up to just anybody who's going to... Um, take a surgeon's knife and be willy-nilly with it. There was an, an inner healing program that a lot of people love, and I'm not going to mention it just because I haven't done the legwork to research it myself, where a family member had gone in and was being told she was 14 years old. They were told everyone in church needs to go through this program because who doesn't need inner healing, right? right. So she was told that she had a daddy problem and that God prophetically told them that she had like a daddy problem, that her dad had abandoned her. She's one of the most faithful dads that I know, like the example of epitomizes good dads. And anyway, she lived in this great depression thinking that God believed that her dad didn't love her. And it caused a daddy problem. Right. Right. So, like, you have these people who are biblically so unqualified. Their children are all over the place. No one's serving the Lord. They can't find theologically their way out of a wet paper sack. I mean, they've got nothing, no substance to them. But they're just prophetically and, and, gifted. And on that, even and Miller, sorry, I'll let you go next. But, <laughs> There's a third person here somewhere. Mil, uh, anyway, I'll just finish <laughs> with this. But on that, even with prophetically, that those they're practicing what they 
you know, the gift of prophecy, maybe, or they're trying to, in a way that we would never recommend. Agreed. Agreed. Where they think mm-hmm. so strongly that God spoke to them that even when the person's like, no, that doesn't speak to me, they prevail upon them and say, no, you actually do have a daddy wound. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, that's not how we practice prophetic ministry. Agreed. If you believe that, uh, if you believe that prophecy can be missed, you actually have a humility that's like, oh, that, that was maybe wrong. Miller, did you have any other thoughts on this? Yeah, I had uh, two little reflections on this. Uh, well, one, I didn't comment enough about the Sozo thing, um, and so let me just backtrack on that one. Um, the, I, I mentioned that it doesn't have much scriptural support, and let me just explain an example of what I mean. They will tell you that you know, if you have a trauma from your past that is was caused by your father, then you'll have issues with Father God. They'll say if your mother caused a trauma, then you have issues with the Mother Holy Spirit, and then um, Gross. An issue with a brother. I'm serious. This is this is part of Sozo ministry, um, and so. And, and if it was Jesus, sure. if it was Jesus, then you have an issue with your one brother, of your siblings. brother or friend or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and so you just don't find much uh, much grounding in fact, on that one. And, and I think that's part of the problem. And now the other thing I was going to mention about some of the, uh, you call it theophostic or inner healing. And I think, Michael, you, you, you touched on this, is that often these things are, there's a combination, right? And so when I think of my own story, you know, a lot of the demonization that I experienced into my adult life was because I had these negative beliefs about myself, um, specifically things like self-hatred, self-loathing, uh, lack of self-worth, didn't believe I was worth knowing, didn't believe I was worth loving. Now, a lot of those beliefs that I had, that stronghold of the mind, actually had its root in a trauma from my childhood. My dad uh, abandoning my family, marrying another woman who had six kids, adopting those kids as his own, and then having no contact with me. So you can see how the trauma of my childhood uh, lent itself to a belief structure that I carried with me for years and years and years. Um, and I would say that all of those things are rela- related. And so redefining that trauma, you know, now today I can look back at it and go, my dad wasn't actually sending me the message I wasn't worth knowing and loving, even though I believe that. Reality, my dad was also a very hurt person who made some really poor decisions because of his own hurt and his own need for significance. And he found that need and significance met by adopting uh, another woman's family. And so again, I, I just there's a lot of overplay and overlay in those areas where, where trauma and strongholds of the mind are often connected and both have to be dealt with uh, in order to experience freedom from even a demonic entity that may be there because of those things. Yeah, and we've, we've tackled some of that in prior episodes, but we've got to keep moving because we're 15 minutes yep. in and we've already finished our first video. So let's hit, we went from the UK with Nathan, we're going to go all the way to Georgia to hang out with Sam. Hey, Josh and Michael and Michael. <laughs> Um, it's Sam from Atlanta, Georgia, and I was just wondering I was just wondering what you guys think about Matthew 12:29. Okay, I have some friends who take what Jesus said about like binding up a strong man so you can enter his house and take his possessions, but they take that and they they apply it to like prayer life in that it means we need to bind up a strong man like demon in a city or neighborhood uh, like bind up a big pa- uh, ruler over that area and so that we can have more influence in that area 
And I was just wondering if y'all think that if that's biblical or is that just a kind of like a territorial spirits kind of teaching thing. Um, like, I don't know. Well, it makes sense. Uh, there's a lot of teaching that we have from Dr. Michael Heiser that talks about spirits that rule over regions. And I'll just break that down very quickly, and then I'll toss it over to Michael and Michael that can kind of address this question. Um, the Deuteronomy 32 worldview says that uh, at the Tower of Babel, when God divided the nations, he divided them according to the number of the sons of God. And according to Heiser, uh, the way that this works out is that sons of God have always been used to speak of angelic beings, Ben Elohim. Uh, they present themselves before God in Job. They uh, speak out in, I think, Genesis 6. Multiple times their Ben Elohim, sons of God, is used. Uh, and it's always referring to these angelic beings. So he said that each geographical region that was split up at the Tower of Babel, according to their tongues, were given a specific angelic host to kind of oversee them. And I use the word angelic host in kind of a broad sense. He probably wouldn't use it that celestial being of some kind. Celestial being of some kind, yeah. These rulers uh, that are ruling and reigning with God in the divine council. So uh, apparently in Psalm 82, further on along in the history, uh, these divine beings who were supposed to be ministering spirits to bring God's people to salvation, as we see in Hebrews 1, uh, are now actually receiving worship and leading people astray. So I think it's in Psalm uh, 82, where he sits enthroned amongst his divine counsel and sits in judgment. And he says, hey, I say that you are God, but you will die like men's, because I said God, singular, and men's, plural. That was really funny. Um, uh, I you say are that gods, you are God, but you will die, die like, like men. men. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like stumbling over my words, and I'm like, what is happening with my speech today? Um, so uh, anyway, in, in this account, God is sitting up, and he's like, hey, I'm going to bring forth my own salvation. I'm going to kick your butts. And apparently Jesus is the, the, if you will, the Ben Elohim over Israel. He is God's chosen portion. And uh, anyway, so he comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes, and uh, yeah, he he destroys the rulers of darkness, pulls down principalities and powers, dethrones them, disarms them, and through the preaching and teaching of the gospel, we push these principalities back. We see this kind of language in Daniel chapter 10. There's a principality set up over Persia. Uh, a messenger comes to give Daniel a message. He is withheld from the, the prince of Persia, kind of like like holds him up somewhere. And then um, Michael, the archangel, comes and fights with uh, Gabriel, and they overcome the prince of Persia, and he comes and delivers the message. So uh, it's it's kind of gives us a little view of the divine cosmology, but are Christians supposed to engage with these demonic powers by taking authority over them, casting down their strongholds and the spiritual powers that they have over certain regions? Roundtree. First. <laughs> yeah, so on the territorial note, and I think we, we did this on a recent episode that's not uh, in the Bible at all. Last week. The idea of casting demons out of territories. That's right. Uh, it's not in the Bible. And I would just encourage you, and this is just like a good lesson on just how do you read the Bible. Go back to Matthew 12. Do you see anything that even suggests anything about a territorial spirit? In this specific context, what he's talking about is a, is a dude who just had a spirit cast out of him. What does that have to do with a spirit over a region? So it's completely divorced from the context. Uh, so that's not what that passage is about, nor can we find the idea of casting territorial spirits out in the Bible. Uh, secondly, I, I would say that, uh, that really, if anything, Matthew chapter 12 is eschatological in nature because in, uh, when, when he's talking about the strong man. Because what he, what he says is, you know, like, hey, the, the strong man has to be bound and his house can be plundered. Well, the strong man is the devil. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to plunder his house. And he says, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so the prophets who had prophesied this kingdom, well, now it's here in Jesus. So this 
eschatological reality has come true in him through beginning with his ministry of preaching and casting out demons and then reaching the cross and now expanding through the church until uh, the culmination at the very end of time and his return. But my point is, this is really an eschatological reality. It has nothing to do with territorial spirits. And the reason I emphasize that about the eschatological reality is I, I hear charismatics do this a lot of times. Like if they're casting out demons, they'll be like, and I, I bind this strong man in the name of Jesus. And they'll even say weird stuff like, oh, I bind him with a threefold cord and like all of this. I bind the Leviathan spirit and, with the cord of intimacy. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, that's just a misuse of that text. Do it doesn't say? even make sense. And, I, and, and God loves people and he'll probably still cast demons out if you're, you're moving in yeah. the authority of Jesus and you love him and et cetera. So... Uh, I'm not saying it can never work, <laughs> sure. But you know, just because it works sometimes doesn't mean it's good. Moses, uh, Moses struck the rock when the Lord said, "Speak to it," and the water still came out. Mm-hmm. So we can't just look at a ministry and say, "Hey, good things are happening." It must be because it's of God. Well, sometimes God does good things. Praise God, despite our mishaps. That's a good word. That's a, that's a word for somebody today. Miller, what do you think? Uh, I completely agree with Roundtree on this. Um, I think the Matthew 12 passage is entirely eschatological. I think that Jesus has already bound the strong man. And so those of us who are followers of Christ are now plundering his house. And the way that we're plundering him is we're offensively setting people free from the power of the enemy. We're casting out demons. We're healing the sick. We're preaching the gospel. And people are, are coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. Um, so I'm I'm with him on that uh, a bit on the principality thing and uh, a lot of this was actually popularized by C. Peter Wagner um, and this was actually a contentious point I think that sort of split some of the vineyard people um, you know C. Peter Wagner and John Wimber split over that issue um, because C. Peter Wagner was following a lot of the guys down in South America who found that if they could sort of spiritually map different areas and mm-hmm. begin to pray against the the powers of darkness that were prevalent in those areas then when that thing was sort of taken down you would see a wave of revival coming through um and i, I just don't I, I don't see any scriptural precedent for it the, the closest yeah. thing that i think you come to it is actually out of daniel Sorry, sure which uh, you that. might have mentioned earlier so that's siri talking to me now mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh where you know, the prince, uh, Michael the Archangel has to, to be sent as backup because the angel that was carrying an interpretation of vision to Daniel was upheld by the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. Um, and so those princes or archons or B'nai Elohim, like Josh mentioned earlier, had to be dealt with before the interpretation of the vision could get there. But again, none of that is precedent for us to call down principalities and deal with them so that way revival can come through an area if you want revival to to sweep through an area preach the gospel cast out demons heal the sick cleanse the lepers do exactly what jesus commanded the the apostles to do when he sent out the 12 and then when he sent out the 70 yeah yeah and and it's totally fine pray for the region sure and and pray even that god would overcome demonic strongholds in the region but don't look up at a cumulonimbus floating by and say, I cast, you know, that's a cloud. Okay, don't look up <laughs> into the sky and just be like, I cast out greed that's hovering over this city. That's just silliness. Well, I think the cosmology of angels, we are giving them so much credit. Like, they're not omniscient. So if I'm speaking over the principality of Greece, can it even hear me? Like, it, it 
there's no way that we have any evidence that that even is the way that the cosmology yeah. works of these things. Yeah. And in addition to that, let's just pretend that this passage where you like bind the strong man was applicable to cities. It then says, fill it with a stronger man. So you're saying this passage is about cities. So I'm going to cast out the demons. I'm going to bind the strong man. Well, if you don't fill that whole city with the Holy Spirit, you get seven more evil coming. Like that, that sounds like a good argument not to, to spiritually warfare over cities because all you're doing is inviting more wickedness yeah. to attack the city yeah. if everyone doesn't get saved. So the moral of the story is don't cast devils out of cities. Don't do it. Don't go chasing waterfalls, people. <laughs> <Don't let's> just, <laughs> stick so, to the rivers and the lakes, bro. Stick to the rivers and the lakes, everybody. I got this good question you in the know, comments Were you section. born when that song came I, out? I was not. <laughs> I wasn't. This is a question from Paula. Paula wants to know, hey, you mentioned Leviathan spirit, right? Along with Jezebel spirit, Kundalini spirit. I hear some people talk about it. What is, what meaneth this? You want to talk about this, Michael? <laughs> Honestly, I just don't, I don't really traffic in those. <laughs> Dang, traffic. <laughs> That's messed Not up, yet. bro. <laughs> Not yet. I don't know that I'm the best to answer that. But I mean, uh, Jezebel spirit usually means, I, I, I hear it used in contexts where it's like uh, a domineering woman and there might be some sexuality associated with it because Jezzy B. because Jezzy B was <laughs> domineering of her husband and very sexual. So whatever. Uh, so maybe that's it. Uh, Kundalini, people shake around a lot, tied to, what, Hinduism? Yeah, Kundalini Eastern is mysticism. actual thing, but it's not like, we don't go around like, is that a Kundalini spirit? And like talking to spirits and it's like, is you the spirit of Kundalini? Um, that's not what we do. Uh, the Kundalini spirit is a practice that takes place in, I believe it's Zen Buddhism. Uh, other forms, I could be wrong, it could be Hinduism, but the idea is that you have these chakras inside of your body, and at the base of your body, you have your, your that, that last chakra, and when you release that, there's like this serpentine spirit that like inflames your chakras. It's just an entirely Eastern practice in... Well, if somebody was mysticism. practicing like Eastern stuff, and totally then you possible. like cast a demon, like you, you don't even mention a name, you cast a demon out and they start doing the Kundalini she shake, you know, maybe they had a Kundalini Bro, spirit. Would you say that? Dude, is that going to be like what? a new like TikTok video? It's the Kundalini, the Kundalini shake. shake. No, the, that's the, not The okay. point is, is that this stuff is tied to idolatry. It's yeah. not uh, something that I think you just can haphazardly fall into unless you're practicing idolatry. Yeah. Um, and the Leviathan thing, from what I understand, it's mentioned one time. There, there might be a couple of other times in Scripture, but for sure it's Job. in Job. And the question is really rhetorical. Uh, it's the Lord asking Job, hey, where were you when I hooked in the Leviathan? And, you know, this is supposed to be sort of a cosmic sea creature that God had bound up in order to, to continue to exercise his sovereignty over the earth and the powers of darkness. So the, the indication is not so much that this Leviathan is having much of an impact on the world. It's more that God himself is sovereign over those things. And who is Job to begin to question God, considering uh, Job's place in the, in the cosmic world? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was looking it up. I didn't have time to find it. But so, it's, it's in Isaiah 20-something. I want to say around 26 or 27. I want to say 27. Anyway, uh, Leviathan is mentioned, and mm -hmm. I believe there, it's a, uh, if I remember right, it's eschatological. It's a sword will pierce the Leviathan and, um, and seems to be pointing toward Revelation 12 uh, and the initial defeat of the dragon at the hand of Christ, uh, as well as the final defeat. So. And I, want, I just want to say that there are 
people who categorize spirits in a very different way. So we're t- we're talking very broadly about hyper charismatic stuff that we've experienced, but there are also people who talk about like the spirit of Elijah or the spirit of John the Baptist or the spirit of Jezebel. Just saying, it's like a personality type or a ministry type. There's people who exist who want to use sexuality as a way to manipulate people. Yeah, we can say, hey, that's a Jezebel spirit, and not be like, there's a spooky demon behind that. You're just saying it's like a mindset, like the spirit of Elijah. You know, uh, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Did did John the Baptist have like this ectoplasmic spirit that traveled to he- heaven and then just came down on John the Baptist? No, it's saying that he has the same ministry or or calling kind of mindset as Elijah. So uh, we don't want to like, we don't want to condemn all kind of speech like that. It just, you have to be aware of those categories. Um, yeah, it, it's probably, actually, I, w- I would say it's not helpful to use that kind of speech. There's a better way to, to talk about somebody that's uh, practicing, sed- you know, uh, seductory i don't know what you call it seduction? practicing seducing you know <laughs> seduction yeah there you go uh <laughs> it just say that that person is trying to seduce it's not yeah. good it's not appropriate it's sin and i actually want to make a note on this because there's a big deal in like the casting out of demons like you've got to know its name oh. there's one time in the bible that jesus asks a demon its name it's uh and it's told in three of the gospels but here's mark 5's version uh in in mark 5 verse 8 for he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So the one who had all authority, Jesus, actually, it was a process. He was saying this to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So sometimes deliverance will be a process. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion. Okay, so in that scenario, um, and you bring in just the the Hebrew kind of worldview and understanding to ask one's name is to speak of mastery. That's why uh, when Jacob and the Lord are wrestling and Jacob says, what's your name is basically like, I want to win. And the Lord's like, uh, okay, I'm actually going to give you a name. (laughs) Or when Adam names the creature. Or when Adam names the creature. So this is Jesus actually exerting his authority over the demon. Uh, And it looks as though he's doing it in a really difficult case. He's doing it one time. This is not a common thing. You shouldn't have to ask a demon its name on a regular basis. You shouldn't just go around and have like a a ministry of asking demons their names, right? Um, Now, there there are times... uh, Okay, so there's, there's one instance, okay? Don't use, don't ask for demons' names all the time. Agreed. On occasion, maybe. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but then I would say there will time, there will be times when Jesus says like he casts out a deaf spirit or, you know, you deaf and mute spirit or whatever. And he'll, uh, he'll cast the spirit out there. There's, it's not rocket science to know in that scenario. It's like the dude is deaf and mute. Okay. I don't know. I saw a light change. Anyway, there, uh, the dude was deaf and mute, so he cast out a deaf and mute spirit. There might have been some discernment to know there's a spirit there, but, uh, but there, there's not always like a fancy name. Like, my name is Legion. That's kind of fancy. So well, it, it doesn't seem like even in that situation that Jesus is trying to find out the name to exercise authority over it. It's probably to find out what he's dealing with so that he can cast it out. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, but here's, here's a question. I've got a question that I feel like is pretty relevant. Incubus and succubus. I hear this with every single deliverance ministry I've ever come across. They're like, there are two demons, and they do the sex demon stuff, and they're called incubus and succubus. And I, I see hesitation on Michael's face because he knows what I'm talking about. I used to listen to incubus in high school, but I didn't know the Lord, so uh, okay. I have no idea if... Miller, you got any thoughts about that? <laughs> do you remember incubus? You weren't, you weren't born. No. Uh, not, again, I... 
So in practice, and I, I try to be very practical and very uh, an era where I know things are very clear in the scripture, but in practice, I've not found trying to get the name of an evil spirit to somehow help me deal with what I'm dealing with. I, agree. I, I will tell you what's been effective is finding out, you know, what allowed that demonic spirit to get there in the first place, a past sin, a present sin that somebody is currently practicing and they need to repent from. Um, those things have been extraordinarily helpful in getting people set free. Uh, I, I've not sat there and trying to figure out what I'm dealing with because at the end of the, end of the day, I don't actually care what I'm dealing with. I care about the person that I'm trying to help get free. Bro, that's and it. So I think there's a lot of unnecessary attention given to the demonic spirit itself and what you're dealing with uh, rather than the person that you're dealing with. That's, yeah. that's fire, man. But I, I think I would say with this, like, could there be spirits by certain names just like this? There certainly could be. We're not sure. saying that it's impossible. We're just observing what we see to be an over-the-top focus on something that's not over the top in the scripture. So as, as a minister of the gospel, I want my emphases to be the same emphases that I find in scripture. And as you're exploring this realm of deliverance ministry, you want the same. You want your, em the emphasis is upon gospel authority. God, you have the authority to command and gospel power. Uh, the emphasis is upon repent for the kingdom is at hand. The emphasis is upon Jesus and upon setting this person free. Uh, it's not upon this like lost, forgotten lore that deliverance ministers have discovered. Yeah, and, and this is why uh, there's a verse in, I believe it's the Second Timothy, where it talks about we're not going to uh, put faith in endless genealogies or uh, into speculations. Um this is a thing that we have to, as charismatics, go, hey, we don't get to speculate on the cosmology. We don't get to speculate on these practices. What we want to do is we want to be committed biblically to what the Bible is committed to. It says, hey, go. We're going to say, hey, and go. That's that's what we're doing. So I've got another video about mental illness, PTSD, uh, some of this stuff. It's going to be interesting. Let's watch it. Hi, guys. You're doing a great job on your series on the demonic. And so I have a question. Um, Michael was talking about how you might have demons from trauma. And I get that that could be a little bit confusing if you also have things like PTSD. But um, so my question is, how can you tell if you have a demon and can you remove it from yourself? And if so, how? All right, that's it. I look forward to the third episode. Thanks. So this episode, this video is kind of condemning because it's obvious that she sent this email really a long time ago, and we only want to do three episodes of Demons and then do Q&A, but there has been so many episodes we have done on Demons, and we're just <laughs> now getting to Q&A. So I apologize that we're just now getting to this question. I think we answered it before. Uh, we would say personally, in the same way that, could you pastor yourself? Can you evangelize yourself? Can you prophesy to yourself? Can you uh, teach yourself? In one sense, yes, certainly, in, in many respects. But what we would say is that you're actually part of a body of Christ for a reason. We need to be dependent on one another. And according to James, he says, confess your sins to one another. Pray the prayer of faith, you get healed. So there is something to be said about confessing and living in openness with a community of faith and the power of Christ's presence being made perfect in that level of weakness, in that confession, uh, and in that vulnerability to other Christians. And it seems uh, like there's biblical precedent that other Christians take authority over uh, any kind of demonic activity that's involved in your life. So we would say, take the prescriptive model of, of Scripture first and say, this is going to be our normative pattern, rather than taking a Western 
you know, Christian individualistic view of how do I accomplish my own sanctification by myself, which is completely foreign to the scriptures. We live in community. Everything we do, we do together. We read the Bible together. We pray together. We do deliverance together. So we would just say collectively, that's that. One of you guys clearly said trauma can affect demon possession. I'm not sure which Michael it was. Could have been both of <laughs> hey, them, I, I wanna... but it wasn't this guy. My name's not Michael. <laughs> I want to make a note on it, but I'm I'm mostly going to volley this over to you, Miller, because I bet you it was you that said that. Um, and, and the reason I want to volley it over to you is because uh, is because you actually talked about it in this episode in the context of your story, and you said I think something to the effect that uh, demons come in in relation to your trauma. But the reason I want to talk about that is that many, I mean, if you deal with, if you've been through trauma or you minister to people uh, who've been through trauma, you know that shame can be a significant part of that. And so they they feel like they're a mistake. They feel like they're uh, worthless. All the things that you were talking about, Michael. And so the last thing we want to do is, is tell somebody who's traumatized, like, oh, you're traumatized because you got demons. Or, you, you know, <laughs> the last thing we want to do do is make such a one-to-one connection there that it's like, oh, well, this is somehow your fault and there's demonization. I, I think we want to, we do want to create a separation there. But Michael, it sounded to me like you were saying in the context of your own story, not just the sheer fact of trauma caused demons to come into your life, but rather that uh, it developed some thought patterns, some belief patterns that that then opened the door for demons. Would you make that distinction or am I hearing you wrong? Also, no, oh. you're, you're hearing me correctly. I, I think um, uh, what I was trying to show is that it's not just the sins. I mean, there's a couple of things here. Uh, sometimes it's not just the sins we've committed that open the door to these things. Sometimes it's the sins committed against us and the resulting shame or lies that we've then begun to believe about ourselves, about the world around us, or about God, that allows those things to remain. So, um, and I think I think bo- both of those things are are they, they kind of go hand in hand. Trauma usually comes with a message, and that message is usually about you, about God, or about the world around you. That is a lie that allows that enemy to sort of wreak havoc in your life, um, and so. Yeah, I hope that sort of answers the question. I know that I experienced, uh, I would say that I was demonized for a couple of different things. One of them being the childhood trauma from my father uh, abandoning my family, family, which I already mentioned. The other thing was from sexual abuse I suffered when I was in, I think, the second grade, maybe third grade. Uh, and that abuse also, again, it's a sin that was committed against me, but the result of that sin was self-loathing and self-hatred. And you better believe that, that the demonic loves that kind of stuff. That's like feeding ground for the demonic, uh, where they, they're having fun and can continually keeping you in that place of, uh, self-hatred. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers that question. Yeah. Michael. It's so, not the trauma itself as much as it is what that trauma creates in the mind, uh, and, and behaviors of a person who's been right. traumatized. Yeah. And, uh, and if I had been your pastor at that time and I was walking you through this, Michael, I would, I would emphasize like, okay, Hey, this thing that happened to you in the third grade, uh, even though you developed some thought patterns and some belief patterns that were lies, this was no, in no way, uh, the fact that it happened is no way your fault. And then when it comes to those thought patterns and lies that you believe, this would be the natural response. And the Lord wants to give you a supernatural response. So let's start to move into that. So in other words, I would, I really try to create space so that uh, I don't re-traumatize traumatized people in my ministry. There's the other component there that... Um 
you, you mentioned you, you would uh, emphasize to me that what happened to me was not my fault. But the other thing I would say is if there's trauma you've experienced and it was because of your sin, it was because of your behavior. The good news is, is that that behavior is not more powerful than the blood of the Lord Jesus. His blood actually covers mm. that sin. And so the shame that you've been uh, bearing because of that sin that you may have committed, that shame does not have to be there. The Lord Jesus' blood was more than enough to cover that sin and every sin of the entire world. That's the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus. Yeah. Hey, and she asked one more question we haven't gotten to, and that was, and I'll, I'll throw it to you, Josh. Uh, how do we know? Uh, how do we know? Let's say we've been through a trauma how do we know whether there is demonization associated with that trauma? Yeah, I mean, I think it's simple. Uh, you treat the pain, you treat the unforgiveness, you treat the, like, the, the symptom is there because of something, right? Now, uh, there was a traumatic event that caused PTSD. Could it be natural or could it be demonic? Either way, as a pastor, I want to care for the pain that happened. That's the goal, right? Make sure that they're living in forgiveness. Make sure they're living in freedom of that moment in time. Make sure that they've given it to the Lord. Uh, and then if they have weakness, PTSD, because of it, we can have confidence. Hey, they've dealt with it. They've taken care of it. Mm -hmm. We've taken authority of anything that would be spiritual. And yeah. you, you would pray as a pastor something to the effect of, hey, you know, after we've, we've done the work of making sure that you're free of that moment, then we go, okay, you know, if there is a demonic spirit right now in the name of Jesus, we cast that spirit out. We command you to leave in the name of Jesus. Nothing happens. Okay, great, cool. We move mm -hmm. on. Um, that's just kind of how you handle the situation. Would you do it any differently? Yeah, no, I I do it just like that. Okay, cool. Well, then I'm right. Um, uh, I'm going to read the next uh, couple of questions. This one comes in. I'm going to say this is an anonymous caller. Um, this email was sent in to me and specifically to Miller about his experience with being fired from a church. Uh, this question, again, I'm going to leave very anonymous because of the details that was given in there, but it said something to the effect of, hey, my, my dad's a deacon in this church. My wife and I have left this church because of church hurt, and we're trying to move on. We're trying to live in forgiveness. We're trying to live in freedom from this experience, but um, because of how close this is to our family and our friends, uh, people keep coming to us, asking us why we left, and it just keeps reopening this wound and we're trying to forgive them but like once we feel like we're we've forgiven them it's like something else happens where someone else is telling us their story of how they were hurt and they're hurt all over again and they have got no clue how to really live and walk in consistent freedom of this and they're afraid that man if they keep playing with sin in this area they could get demonized so i'm gonna toss it over to miller since the question was actually asked to you um and via email through me uh, i want to know your thoughts man how would you handle a situation like that um, you know, we've, we talked about the anger and unforgiveness in the past when we did that uh, episode on it. And I think that the thing to remember is that the, um, forgiveness is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing process. Uh, especially like when I think of my story and having been fired from my church, um, the injuries just keep coming. It's not like it was a one and done thing the day I got fired. It's also the rejection I experienced after the fact. Right, people who never called that I used to be their pastor, uh, or friends of mine that I was in, on staff with that never called to hear my side of the story. Those things, those things hurt, um, and and they continue to hurt. And it's been two and a half years. Um, it's also the stories that are told about, uh, you know, how I am today. Ah, oh, he's just bitter, and he's got this view, and like I hear those rumors. Those rumors hurt as well. And so there's this ongoing process over and over again where I'm having to continually forgive and move forward. Um, after doing that podcast, uh, there's a, a significant amount of vitriol that I received 
from going public about it. People within that organization, very angry with me. Like, how could you do this? You have friends who are on staff at this church. You have friends who are elders in this church. Um, and you know, it feels like you've drawn a line in the sand. Those kind of injuries they, they just keep coming. It doesn't disappear. And, and unfortunately that is the life of a Christian is we continually forgive and, and just remember that posture of forgiving and, and immediately moving in that direction, even though you may feel hurt and you may feel angry and you may find yourself diving into feelings of like, ah, oh, I wish that that person would suffer because of what just happened to me and what they're doing to me. Um, that, that immediate posture should keep us in a place of freedom. I really do think that. And God understands that. He's, he's sovereign in the midst of all of these things, and he'll be with us to help us uh, have that supernatural power to forgive in that moment. So uh, give yourself some 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 grace. Uh, show yourself some patience. Uh, be kind to yourself in this, knowing that the hurt is ongoing, and it's not just a single event that happened. Um, for me, what happened was a public shaming. And therefore, it, it requires a great deal of continual practice of forgiveness. So that's a long-winded answer. <clears throat> yeah, Michael, I love that. And, and when you talk about a posture of forgiveness, one thing, uh, one of the earliest church documents that's not the New Testament that we have uh, called the Didache, and, uh, and one of the things it talks about, it says, pray the Our, Our Father, which is the Lord's Prayer, three times a day. And so this was the practice of the early church. Uh, my wife and I pray through the Lord's Prayer on a daily basis, and I pray it a few other times, uh, but it's, it has forgiveness built in there. And I just want to encourage you guys as our viewers that one of the, I mean, Probably the very best way to uh, to maintain to make sure you don't get demonized is to maintain that posture of forgiveness. We need to forgive every day, and I say verbalize it and forgive people by name. And it can be the most trifling of offenses. And if you just keep doing that, there's a much better chance <laughs> that you don't get demonized because one of the biggest ways that people do get demonized is because of unforgiveness. And I think that one of the lies that we tell ourselves, you touched on this, Michael, is don't wait for the hurt to go away in order to forgive them. Uh, quite the contrary, you forgive them and gradually the hurt will go away. And, uh, and Jesus on the cross is a perfect example. He says, forgive them while he's bleeding. And so, and so we forgive while we bleed. Yeah, you... I think there's also just, uh, sorry, one more little thing on this is there's this belief that to forgive means that you pray for blessing for that person every day. And while I, I do know that people have found that to be a helpful practice, for me, it actually causes me to think about that person constantly rather than moving on. Um, and it's uh, for me, it's been more helpful to just when they come to mind, ah, God, forgive me for being bitter towards that person. Uh, bless them. And then I move on. I don't think about it. I don't try to pray for them on a daily basis. I ask for forgiveness from the Lord when that offense comes to mind. Um, Here's a great question from Josh Stigliano. Uh, he said, hey, what do you think about, and I know his name is Josh because I know his face, um, do you have any thoughts about the use of medication in treating mental illness? I have never been officially diagnosed, but it's been suggested to me that I may suffer from complex PTSD. Yeah. Uh, I, I think medication is okay. I mean, if somebody um, if somebody sprains their ankle and they take an Advil, nobody's going to be like, don't take an Advil. Well, there actually might be some people, but <laughs> some are. Christians who are like, no medication. Not, not us. We, not, we're all not for us. us. Not right. these guys. So I, I would say it's fine. I would view uh, medication as more like a crutch to help 
to help you reshape those thought patterns and those belief patterns so that, uh, you know, whether it's somebody taking uh, anxiety medication or whatever it is, let it be a crutch that's intended to be short term. Maybe your serotonin levels are low and you kind of it, it helps you get through it and to renew your mind. And, and and I'm fine with that. I mean, Paul tells yeah. Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. And 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 so I'm fine with it. But but we don't want it to become a long term dependency. And I would just say, uh, my wife has off and on struggled with depression, like pretty, pretty intensely. And she's open about this. Uh, she, we've probably been living in the longest season of freedom from this probably ever. Um, uh, but there were times where we talked about getting on antidepressant medication um, because it was pretty bad. Um, but when we started looking into it, just research your medicine. Like I, I understand, get your doctor's whatever on it, but double check their work, double really research because you can come off of antidepressant medicine and it can do way worse damage. And some people who get on antidepressant medicine, their chemistry functions differently and it makes it worse. Absolutely. So really research your stuff. If you're on that kind of stuff, be around other people while you're taking it. You don't want to be like living alone in your apartment, taking antidepressant medicine that makes it worse. Absolutely. Um, it just trust me on this, just research and, and live in community yeah, when, and when you're going through stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. And ask the Lord, yeah, does he want you to absolutely. take it? Is he saying to take it or is he saying not? Yeah. So, so again, I'm, I'm with Michael. Um, I wouldn't say all medicine is a crutch, um, but I would say specifically with this issue, if the mental illness is stemmed to a an experience, like if it is PTSD and it's stemming from an experience, use it as a crutch. There are some people that have mental illnesses that they're just born with and there's no way of like, okay, until, the only until for them is the resurrection or God heals them. Um, some mental illnesses do come from a or traumatic experience. Or God could heal them in this life. But your point is, That's what I'm it's saying. Yeah, those not... are the options. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and if it, it just to, to, again, attack any shame that might be attached to uh, having a mental illness, suffering from PTSD, and having to take medication, um, I personally have had seasons where I've gone on antidepressants to help me deal with certain traumas that I was uh, trying to recover from. And so for the time, it was incredibly helpful. Um, and then when I had dealt with those things, I, I was with a uh, psychologist working through it or psychiatrist working through that. Um, and we also weaned me off of those medications. So there's nothing wrong with taking an antidepressant if you need it for that time period. But again, it should be done in the, in the care of a health pro uh, professional. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff. Good. Okay, uh, Chris. Uh, Chris wants to know, could you guys address the connection between fasting and deliverance? You mm. just mentioned it, and I'd love to hear about y'all's experiences with that. Okay. Uh, do you need to fast to cast out a devil? Okay. Does it help? <laughs> okay, so there's the exegetical and the practical. Okay. okay. So exegetically, what does the Bible say? So there is an instance where in some manuscripts, and there's a manuscript debate over it, and that's why if you go to these verses, it'll say, uh, you know, Jesus will say, this kind only comes out by prayer. And it'll say, some manuscripts say prayer and fasting. Now, my opinion is that the, is that the manuscripts that say and fasting are actually later not our later manuscripts. And here's yeah. why I say this, because in another passage, I want to say Matthew, it's Matthew 8 or 9, I want to say 9. Uh, you, you remember where he's talking about the old wineskins and the new wineskins, and it's in that context where Jesus, you know, and the, and the Pharisees are like, uh, you know, why don't your disciples fast? And he say, well, uh, the bridegroom is with them. 
there will come a time when they will fast again, but now is not that season. So it seems really unlikely that Jesus would come upon his disciples who are (laughs) struggling to cast out a demon, having instructed them, don't fast while I'm with you. Don't fast in the season of my ministry and be like, why didn't you fast? You could have got the demon out. Like that would be silly. So it's a pretty um, rock solid argument. Yeah. So I would say it was probably added later, but now the practical, why was it added later? It was probably added later because the early church found that fasting worked well and casting out demons. And uh, I can't really tell like a, it's hard for me to tell because when I fasted and a demon went, I don't know if it would have gone if I wasn't fasting. Good point. But I, I, I tend to think that fasting is helpful on a practical level in casting out demons. And I think that my guess is that's why it was added in. Yeah, personally, I just think that demons, oh, not demons. Personally, I think that um, fasting creates a regular... Um, response where you're dependent on God. You're, you're you're making an outward profession of, hey, I'm not sustaining on food. I'm being sustained by God, not by bread alone, but by Jesus. And as I put faith in him and I put trust in him, that's what the whole process of fasting is for, is voluntary weakness, that Christ's power made perfect. So as we're doing that, I, I wouldn't see why more trust, more faith in Jesus wouldn't produce more power over demonic powers necessarily. So I've got no difficulty saying, yeah, sure, that could be a thing. Uh, But I think your exegetical approach is pretty solid. Uh, Millie, you had any experiences where, you know, you started fasting and you walked through a grocery store and legions were like, why have you come before our time? Uh, no, Once but I have had it help with weight loss, so that's good. Whoa, uh, <laughs> Hey, um, I, I don't. I'm, I'm of the opinion that, that fasting is a part of the lifestyle of being a Christian, that it, it, Jesus didn't stop and fast right then and for it to be healed or, or for that demon to go, nor did he stop and spend an hour in prayer before that happened either. It's that he lived a lifestyle of prayer, right? So mm-hmm. uh, living a lifestyle, making it a part of the regular discipline of our lives, like Richard Foster encourages uh, should be normative for all of us, like all of the things that, that Christians are to do. We take communion regularly. We fast regularly. We we hear, go to church regularly. Uh, we're in fellowship with other believers, praying for one another regularly. We pray for the Absolutely. sick regularly. Um, yeah. So these are all just normal I think it was the Methodists that did a, I think the Methodists did a Wednesday and Friday fast of every week. I would recommend weekly yeah. fasting personally. Yeah. It doesn't have to be two days. Do one day or just do lunch. And all of this, like if your health permits and all that, like if you're out there and you're nine-month pregnant – Eat donuts, eat or vegetables. I don't know. Eat stuff, but probably not donuts. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we, we probably we probably need to do a whole episode on fasting. I mean, I've got friends who they were so committed to fasting and the power of God and these kinds of things that like some guys ended up with health disorder, not health disorders, eating disorders, and yada yada. Miller, I see that you got your book open, buddy, and you want to talk about the Roman officials who are like, get rid of all the Christians, but then uh, what about the devils? Well. Yeah, I promised several people that I would finally address this citation. So people have been asking me about a quotation that I had from a, um, a document written to a Roman official about the casting out of demons, and I finally found it. So I'm just going to address this. This comes from uh, Ronald A.N. Kidd, uh, Healing Through the Centuries, Models for Understanding. And uh, it's actually a letter written from Tertullian. Uh, I'll just read the the about a little over a paragraph, so just bear with me here, but I think you'll find it significant when it comes to uh, explaining that Christians had power over the demonic, and that was a primary uh, way in which um, Christianity spread in, in the Roman Empire. 
So this sense of confidence noted earlier in Tertullian appeared again in one of his most famous works, The Apology. In this book, he was trying to defend Christians against persecution by the Roman state. Tertullian fully understood the idea that the best defense is a good offense, and in chapter 37, he was on the offensive. Attempting to underline the foolishness of alienating Christians, he said... But who would you rescue, or who would rescue you if Christians were to withdraw from those secret enemies that everywhere lay waste of your minds and your bodily health? I mean, from the assault of demons, whom we drive drive out of you with reward without pay. Why this alone would have sufficed to avenge us, to leave you open and exposed to unclean spirits with immediate possession. I think that's an interesting way of phrasing it. Uh, this would suffice as revenge against those of you who are persecuting us if we were just to stop casting out your devils. That's kind of the argument he's making. So this idea of the indebtedness of the Roman society to Christians for their spiritual protection also appears in Tertullian's letter to an official named Scapula while he was talking about well-placed imperial citizens. He said, for the secretary of a certain gentleman, when he was suffering from falling sickness caused by a demon, was freed from it. So also were the relatives of some of the others and a certain little boy. And heaven knows how many distinguished men say nothing of common people have been cured either of devils or of their sickness. So Christians not only did not create difficulty in society, they fulfilled a positive role. They protected innocent citizenry from assault by demons. Uh, through Christian blessings were distributed indiscriminately and in the process of demons were conquered. So the point being made here is uh, that the argument that Tertullian is making is uh, wouldn't have been valid at all or even helpful if it wasn't recognized that Christians could cast out demons. Yeah, That's the whole point of this argument. He knows that this is a well-known fact amongst the empire that Christians have powers over these things. So. What's even more important than that is that Tertullian agrees with me and calls them devils yes. instead of demons. <laughs> so Tertullian's on my it, side. They're, they're devils. If Tertullian Tertullian it's good they're... enough for Tertullian. It's good enough for me, by God. I'll tell you. <laughs> them devils, get rid of them. Um, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. Tons of questions have come in from the series on demons. Uh, I know that you guys have got great questions here in the comments section. Uh, we got people in there that Christian, non-Christian, people practicing different faiths, they're asking us questions in the comments. Man, we want to engage with you as much as we can. Uh, sometimes we don't get to do it in these live shows because we, we try to favor those who came in via email. You can ask questions. Go to media at theremnantradio.com. Uh, media at theremnantradio.com is the best way to email us, to get a contact of, with us. Lots of really great stuff that you can help support. If you've been watching for a long time, this video has blessed you. Man, go to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash theremnantradio. And you can give there. Uh, get a book club, all kinds of really cool extra content that comes out there. Uh, maybe you want to connect with us and you want to go to some of these conferences that are coming down. Uh, they've got a conference there in Houston, Woodlands, October 4th through the 6th. You can register there at Pursuit. Uh, conference.org, or uh, you can, whoop, got to turn some of these off at a time, uh, the prophetic reformation, okc.com. Uh, you can check us out both of those places. And if you're like, hey, are you going to other places that aren't these two conferences? We've got concerts that we're at. We've got, uh, man, we've got uh, uh, speaking engagements. Me and Miller are going to go to a couple churches and preach together. We're going to go up to Kentucky and film with Keener. We've got a lot of really cool stuff that is on the calendar. It's on the itinerary, uh, theremnantradio.com. Uh, there will be a massive update of the website this week because it's just not super mobile friendly. And it was built a long time ago. It's kind of looking dated. I need to, I need to put some TLC into the website. Oh, so. yeah. Anyway, don't that's going to happen this week. waterfalls, bro. Say what? what oh, don't don't be chasing waterfalls. Excellent, guys. Thank you so much. Any other thoughts, Michael? Did I miss anything? Nah, dude. Devils. Tertullian. Yeah, settles devils. It. It's done. Subscribe, guys. Blessings. Catch you later.
Want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.